Welcome to the Classic Speeches Podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, bringing you treasured talks from 70 years of BYU devotionals. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts, or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. This devotional address entitled, The True Value System, was given on May 15th of 1979 by Royden G. Derrick, then a member of the First Quorum of the Seventy of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. As Sister Derrick and I came onto your campus this morning, I was reminded of Dr. Sidney Sperry, under whom we had the opportunity of studying monthly for some 20 to 25 years. And I was reminded of the time when he stood on the foothills of these mountains to the east, looked over the, at what that time was a relatively small school, and the Lord showed him a dream of what the school would become. As the Brigham Young University has developed into the great school it is, it is the realization of dreams and the faith of the men who have built this great university. And I am sure that all of us thrill in the quality of instruction and the beauty of the campus which makes this building what it is when added to the great students that come here from throughout the world. I was in uh, Honolulu a few months ago, boarded a plane, sat down in my seat, strapped myself in. When a man sat by my side, I introduced myself to him, extended my hand in a greeting of good fellowship. He was a, of Japanese extraction, spoke impeccable English, and explained that he was on his way to Boise, Idaho, to attend a bank director's meeting. And that immediately got my curiosity, what bank I queried. He said, the Citizens National Bank. Then you must be acquainted with Martin Zacherson, who is the president of a, of the, uh, uh, of a mission in Southern California for the Mormon Church. And he said, yes, I wonder why he would leave as bank director of a bank to serve as a mission president for merely a living allowance. Well, you can imagine that opened the door that I was willing to walk into. So I said, well, may I explain to you? And he says, I would be delighted. I said, "Uh, first I must ask you, are you a Christian? And he said, no. Then I asked, do you believe in God? He said, yes. I said, would you tell me what you understand, your understanding of God? And then he talked, as most of the people of the world would do, about a spirit that fills the universe, and then went on to explain what the relation between God was and man, and uh, it was typically fuzzy. I thought uh, to myself, this is the problem we have in teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we do not have a common understanding. Can you imagine speaking to a man like that and telling him about Joseph Smith's first vision 
considering his concept of the Godhead. You see, he just couldn't relate to it unless we came to a common understanding. And so I said to him, I have a neighbor living across the street from me who, in 1950, came from Princeton University to the University of Utah. His name is Dr. Henry Eyring, and already at that time he had gained eminence as a great scientist. He uh, told us a story at that time that I have not forgotten. He said that one time he was invited to attend a meeting of world scientists. Every person present had the opportunity of standing before the group and saying whatever they wanted to say. And so Dr. Eyring stood before this group of scientists and said, what is the second law of thermodynamics? And one of these scientists spoke up and said that if you have two bodies, that one is hot and one is relatively cold, that the heat from the one will flow to the other until they reach equilibrium. And then Dr. Eyring went on to explain what he meant by equilibrium. He said, if you saw water running down a creek bed, you would think that would be quite natural because the water was seeking its equilibrium. If you saw water running up the creek bed, you'd think some, something was wrong. If you saw a rock rolling down the side of the canyon wall, you would think that would be quite natural. If you saw the rock rolling up, side of, up the side of the canyon wall, then you would think uh, that maybe you needed your head examined. The rock was seeking its equilibrium. If you had a glass on the side of a table and you pushed it to the side, it would drop to the floor. You would hardly expect the glass to jump from the floor up onto the table. The glass would be seeking its equilibrium. He said if you went into the desert and you found in the desert a watch lying on the desert floor, what would you conclude? And one of the scientists spoke up and said that someone had been there before. Furthermore, he said, if you pick the watch up and put it to your ear and it was ticking, what would you conclude? That's right, you would conclude that someone had been there recently and wound it up. Now, according to the second law of thermodynamics, if we have two bodies, one is hot and one is relatively cold, the heat will flow from one to the other until they reach the state of equilibrium. Now, we have a very interesting situation in the universe, he said. We have a sun that is very hot and we have an earth that is relatively cold. Had they existed that way forever, according to the second law of thermodynamics, they would be the same temperature. But they are not the same temperature. Therefore, he asked the question to the group of scientists, who wound the universe up? And then sat down. <laughs> Following the meeting, he walked down the aisle with Dr. Millikan, who at that time was the number one physicist in the, in the world. And he said, Dr. Millikan, what is the answer to my question? And Dr. Millikan said, Obviously, there is a creator. Dr. Eyring says there is conflicts between science, in, the conflicts in science and in religion. 
We have conflicts between science and science, and we have conflicts between religion and religion. But there is no conflict between true science and true religion. For when science finds the truth, it will conform to true religion. When Dr. Eyring left Pima, Arizona to gain his education and to seek his fortune, his wise father said to him, Now remember, son, you don't need to believe anything that isn't true. The gospel of Jesus Christ encompasses all truth, and if it isn't true, it isn't gospel. Now, there is a creator. The question is, who is he? In the 38th section of the Doctrine and Covenants, we have a great statement. Verse 1. Thus saith the Lord your God, even Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? Thus saith the Lord Jesus Christ. Thus saith the Lord your God, even Jesus Christ. The great I am, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the same which looked upon the wide expanse of eternity and all the seraphic hosts of heaven before the world was made, the same which knoweth all things, for all things are present before mine eyes. I am the same which spake, and the world was made, and all things came by me. The creator of the world, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In the 93rd section of the Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord speaking said, And John saw and bore record of the fullness of my glory. This is Jesus Christ speaking. And the fullness of John's record is hereafter to be revealed. And he bore record, saying, speaking of John, I saw his glory, speaking of Jesus Christ, that he was in the beginning before the world was. Therefore, in the beginning the Word was. For he, speaking of Jesus Christ, was the Word, even the messenger of salvation, the light and the redeemer of the world, the spirit of truth who came into the world because the world was made by him, and in him was the life of men and the light of men. The worlds were made by him, Men were made by him, all things were made by him, and through him, and of him. Now, in the book of John, the gospel according to St. John, we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It doesn't make a lot of sense until we know what John meant by the word. But in the 93rd section of the Doctrine and Covenants, John made it very clear what he meant by the word, by the word, the word. He meant Jesus Christ. Now let's take the name Jesus Christ and put in place of the word, and then let's see how it sounds. In the beginning was Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ was with God, and Jesus Christ was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now that makes it clear, doesn't it? When we understand the relationship between 
Jesus Christ and God the Father. In the 130th section of the Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord says, The Father has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's, the Son also. But the Holy Ghost is a personage of spirit. If it were not so, he could not dwell within us. The Lord asked Peter, Who do you say that I am? And he said, Thou art Jesus, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the Savior said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father in heaven. And when Pontius Pilate said to, the, to Jesus, Art thou the King of the Jews, meaning the long-awaited Christ, the Savior said, Thou hast said it. Now I submit to you that there was never a man who ever made such a claim as being the creator of this world and backed it up with such authority as did Jesus Christ. He healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He cast out evil spirits. He controlled the elements. He made the lame to walk, and he raised people from the dead. Never did anyone show his divinity, prove his divinity, as did our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the 76th section of the Doctrine and Covenants, Joseph Smith said, And now, after the many testimonies which have been given of him, this is the testimony last of all which we give of him, that he lives, for we saw him, even on the right hand of God. And we heard the voice bearing record that he is the only begotten of the Father, that by him and through him and of him the worlds are and were created, and the inhabitants thereof are begotten sons and daughters of God. Now some people say that all religions lead to heaven, that all religions are God's, that all churches are God's churches. Let me ask you the question. How many governments do we have in the United States? Obviously one. If we had more than one government, what condition would prevail? Oh, you're right, it would be chaos. It's bad enough as it is, isn't it? What if we had five governments? What if we had 50? What if we had 500 or 5,000? Is man smarter than God or is God smarter than man? Could God have more than one government? Jesus Christ said, If ye are not one, ye are not mine. Now I submit to you that there is either one church on the earth, that is the church of God, or there are none. The Lord Jesus Christ restored the gospel of Jesus Christ and the church of Jesus Christ through the prophet Joseph Smith. This is our claim. And that there is only one government upon the earth, and that is the kingdom of God upon the earth. The Lord Jesus Christ restored the gospel of Jesus Christ and the church of Jesus Christ on the earth. And then he said that this is the kingdom of God. 
He told Joseph Smith and others at that time, the kingdom is yours until I come. I was invited to uh, be on a panel at the School of Business at the University of Utah a month or two ago. And the subject of our discussion was value systems. That's interesting, value systems. We had four of us on the panel. There were two ministers of Christian faiths, in addition to myself, and a college professor. As the panel began to express themselves, I noticed that both the two ministers and the college professors quoted what men said about value systems. Two of them had a stack of books about that high, and they would thumb through the books and read what authors had said about the determination of value systems. I felt a little ignorant as I listened to them because I didn't recognize the authors nor know of their philosophy. And then when it came my turn, I came to realize that my value systems were determined by the Creator. And I turned to the book of Exodus and quoted the Ten Commandments and attempted to weave all of our value systems into the Ten Commandments. Oh, I don't know that I was particularly articulate, but as I have pondered this matter since that time, I have realized that we were talking about a subject that was tremendously important, and that is where we get our value systems from. I was sitting at the soup bar in the Hotel Utah one day when two men came and sat by my side, and one said to the other, I've been studying the philosophy of the Mormons, and I think that they've really got something. The other fellow said, Oh, there's a few things that they have that are all right, but most of what they got is all wrong. And as I listened to them, I could hardly hold myself back from saying to this man, What right have you got to determine what is right and what is wrong? There is only one person who has that right, and that is he who created the worlds. In the first section of the Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord speaks of this when he tells us what is wrong with the world today. He says, speaking of the people, for they have strayed from mine ordinances and have broken mine everlasting covenants. And then he says, they seek not the Lord to establish his righteousness, but every man walketh in his own way. Isn't that so true? You see, if everyone determines what is right and what is wrong, we have so many different value systems that we could not possibly be one as Jesus Christ commissioned us to be. If you were playing in a basketball game, you would have to play by the rules of the game or they'd take you out. Who has the right to make up the rules? It's 
those who have been given the authority to make up the rules. If you attempted to make up your own rules, you just couldn't play in the game. Now, how many people do we have throughout the world who attempt to make up their own rules, set their own value systems, and determine what is right and what is wrong regarding the true philosophy and gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? When we come to an understanding of the Lord, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we begin to better understand our own potential. When the Savior invited Peter to walk on the water and Peter failed, the Savior said, O ye of little faith. You see, if Peter had understood the power of the Savior, the power of his associate, Jesus Christ, then he could have known more of his own power and walked on the water. The Savior says, All things are possible to him that believeth. And the Apostle Paul put it a little differently, which is more important to you and me, when he said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I'd like to give you an example of that. It was just a year ago next week when the telephone rang in my office. I answered the phone, and the voice on the other end of the line said, This is Doug Snarr speaking. My mind turned back to some 15 or 20 years ago when he came into my office had just come down from Idaho Falls, Idaho, to set up a sign business. And he was stuttering quite badly at the time, and I was having a difficult time understanding what he was saying. Doug said, without any stutter, I want you to come over to the Salt Palace tomorrow afternoon at 4.40. I'm sending a ticket over for you. Now, knowing Doug Snarr, I knew it was important to him or he wouldn't have asked me, so I said, I'll be there. The following day, I was in the Salt Palace on the second row at 440. My seat had been reserved. As I looked around the building, I noticed approximately 10,000 people. Again, I looked at my ticket. It said $15. And as I noticed, I noticed that I had better seats than some of the others, and so I reasoned that the average cost of getting into there for one day was about $12. And I multiplied $12 times 10,000 people, and I was impressed. As I walked in, Don Hudson was speaking. He was an excellent speaker. He was through at 5 o'clock. And then the person who was conducting these sessions came to the podium and introduced Doug Snarr. The lights went out. Doug stepped to the pulpit, the podium. And then the spotlight came on, and there Doug stood to give his talk. He said, when I was young, 
my family lived in Idaho Falls. My father owned a potato farm about five miles west of Idaho Falls. And when I was young, I stuttered so bad I couldn't communicate. I just couldn't talk to people. He said, I used to stand out by the potato vines, hoeing the, hoeing the spuds, and I would talk to the potato vines. And as long as I could talk to the potato vines, I could get along pretty well. But the minute I tried to talk to people, I just couldn't talk because of stuttering. As I stood out in the field one day, I looked out to the east and saw the city of Idaho Falls and said to myself, I must get into that city and meet people or I will never overcome my stuttering. One day he was looking at the newspaper and there was an ad in the paper for a custodian in one of the stores in Idaho Falls. He knew that he couldn't get that job unless he offered something more than others would offer. Well, now Doug was a pretty good artist. And so he went to the store manager and he said, told him how badly he wanted that job, and he says, if you will give me this job as custodian, I will not only keep your store clean, but I will paint your signs for you and you can save the cost of one employee. Well, what employer couldn't, could resist that? And so he hired Doug, and Doug cleaned the store and painted the signs. Doug went, it was going to high school, and uh, there was a young girl in there who he thought was the most beautiful thing that he had ever seen. But he didn't have the courage to ask her for a date, so he got one of his friends to set up a blind date for him. And the day come when, came when he was to keep the date. He went in front of the house, and for 30 to 40 minutes, he walked up and down that sidewalk until he almost wore a path in the concrete walk. And finally, he got up the courage. He went to the door, knocked on the door. The girl's father came to the door, and he said, Who are you? And when Doug tried to answer, he couldn't get a word out. And just about the time he was ready to sink into oblivion, he, the young lady came tripping down the circular stair, seeing Doug, called out to her father, Daddy, meet Doug Snar and save the day. <laughs> Doug came to the, down to the Brigham Young University, and he took a, cla a, a class in religion. Wanting to be as inconspicuous as possible, he slipped in the door and went to one of the back seats. But the teacher, in looking down the list, put his finger on one of the names to offer the invocation. Doug Snarry says, come up and offer the invocation. Doug walked up to the front of the room and completely failed. After the class was over, the teacher called Doug up to the front of the class and says, Doug, if you will continue to come to this class, I promise you that I will never ask you to pray before the class again. And Doug said to himself, that is not the answer. I must learn how to stand before a class and pray without stuttering. One day he was sitting in the barbershop and he opened a magazine, and there he saw in the magazine an ad from a school in St. Louis, Missouri that would uh, that uh, would teach people to speak and overcome stuttering. Doug jumped up out of his chair, took the magazine with him, hurried to his uh, room, packed his bags, got on the bus, went to Idaho Falls, and said to his father, I want $1,000 to go to St. Louis, Missouri. And showed him the ad, and his father said, we'll check it up before we give you the $1,000. Three days later, he came back and he says, Doug, it's a farce. They can't do it. 
And Doug says, nevertheless, I'm going to go back there. His father said, if you go back there, you will do it at your own expense. Now, Doug had a friend who could talk. <laughs> Doug could paint signs, but he couldn't talk. His friend could talk, but he couldn't paint signs. And so they made a good combination. They went in the sign business. Now, when you're in the sign business, you put up a rectangular sign, and then you put pictures on the board. But Doug didn't do it that way. He just took the rectangular sign and discarded it and put the shape of the thing which he wanted to represent. It was a unique approach, and they were very successful. Within a few months, by September of that year, Doug had enough money saved to go to St. Louis, Missouri. So he got on the train, and they said to him, don't come back until you overcome your stuttering. He arrived in St. Louis, went to the school, and met the man who was running the school, and found that the man had recognized that when stutterers sing, they don't stutter. And therefore, he reasoned that if you can get a rhythm into your speaking, that you can overcome your stuttering. To get the rhythm, the stutterer would hold up his hand and speak with the rhythm of his hand. Well, Doug became kind of despondent because he didn't feel he was making the proper progress, and so he kneeled down and he prayed to his Heavenly Father for help. And then he realized, as he was praying, that if he was going to expect help from his Heavenly Father, he had to do what his Heavenly Father had asked him to do. And so he got up off his knees, he called a taxi cab, got in the cab, and went to the nearest branch. When he got there, there was a sign on the door giving the times of the sacrament meeting, and it was over for the day. But at the bottom of the sign was the name of the branch president and his address. Doug had the cab driver take him to the address of the branch president. And when he got to the door, he knocked on the door. A woman came to the door, which was the branch president's wife. He said, my name is Doug Snar. A little girl was standing there with the branch president's wife, and she ran into the other room and said to her big sister, come in and come in. There's a man at the front door that talks with his arms. <laughs> Doug became a very good friend of the branch president, and they invited him to live with him. One day they were going to visit her sister in a distant town. They invited Doug to go with him. When they arrived and the sister met Doug, she said, what you need to do is to give a two-and-a-half-minute talk. And so she picked up the telephone, called the bishop, and said, Bishop, I have a young man here that needs to give a two-and-a-half-minute talk this coming Sunday. Can you arrange it? And it was arranged. The following Sunday, Doug stood up to the pulpit and held on with both hands for fear of falling over. And then he realized that he couldn't use one of his hands to hold on to the pulpit. He had to use it to speak with. So he raised it up to the square to begin the two-and-a-half-minute talk when he suddenly realized that he could give that two-and-a-half-minute talk without the use of his arm, put his hand back on the pulpit, and gave that two-and-a-half-minute talk without a single stutter. 
Can you imagine how much that meant to him? That meant that he knew that he could overcome his problem of stuttering. When he got through with his schooling, he went back to Idaho Falls. The first place he headed for was his girlfriend's home. He knocked on the door. The father came to the door. My name is Doug Snar. Well, he married the girl. He says it was the best thing that he ever did. He uh, went back in the sign business, plastered eastern Idaho and western Idaho with these signs, and then came down to Utah to do the same thing on the highways in Utah. He made up his mind that he was going to talk with the best speakers in America, that is, be on a, a tour with them. One day, he noticed that they were holding a rally, a positive thinking rally, in Dallas, Texas. He got on the plane, went to Dallas, Texas, and when the rally was over, he went up to the room of Paul Harvey, and told Paul Harvey he wanted to be on the circuit with these speakers. And he talked to him for two hours, and finally they said to him, all right, we'll give you 30 minutes. And he said, no, I won't settle for 30 minutes. I want just as much time as Paul Harvey or Don Hudson or Art Lindletter or Zig Ziglar or Ira Hayes or any of the others, or I won't go. And finally, after another two hours, he convinced them that they should give him a full 55 minutes. They said to him, be to Charlottesville, North Carolina, Wednesday of next week. So Doug showed up in Charlottesville, North Carolina, and the following morning, the newspaper read, with headlines on the article, Charlottesville, North Carolina, as adopted Douglas Snar. I was sitting on the second row. It was really Doug Snar's homecoming. It's the first time he has spoken in his own area. He had his friends and his family there. I was seated on the second row. The spotlight was shining on Doug. I have never in all my life heard a speaker that was so dynamic. He stole the show from Paul Harvey, Art Linkletter, Zig Ziglar, Ira Hayes, and the others. Now, if any of you are called to serve a mission in Alaska, he will be your mission president in Anchorage because that's where he is today. When we realize and understand our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we can come to understand our potential better than we ever did before. George Romney gave a talk at the University of Utah commencement one day, and he said, and, and he spoke on the subject, give yourself to something great. Isn't that a provocative title? 
I admonish you to give yourself to something great, realizing that we do not ever aspire for a position in the church, but that we do everything that we do to a standard of excellence in order that when we are called to serve the Lord, we do it in a way that will be acceptable to him. And I would presume that his level of acceptance is high. I bear my witness to you that God lives, that Jesus Christ is the creator of this world, that he sets the standards, that he makes up the rules by which we must live, that he sets the value system, and that if we will conform thereto and assist in building his kingdom in his way, that we will receive rewards far beyond our fondest hope and dream. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to the Classic Speeches podcast presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts, including recent speeches, updated weekly with new talks given on BYU campus, as well as other speeches compilations on love and marriage, overcoming adversity, by study and by faith. Come follow me, the prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.